to This Week in Video Games, episode 12. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. This week, I'll get into Katana Zero, Blossom Tales, and catch up on all the latest news, including new games announced for the Mega Drive Mini, Capcom releasing their own mini home console, and news of Super Mario Maker 2. I've also got an interview with Ben Wander from The Wandering Band talking about Airborne Kingdom, a new city-building exploration game. So without further ado, let's get into the show. So welcome to the show everyone. I hope you're good and you've had a good week. This week is a bit of a catch-up episode of the podcast as I've been off travelling around uh, North America I've been to Toronto, uh, Buffalo, New York City over the past few weeks and I've been catching up on a little bit of R&R. So I had an amazing time in North America, so thanks to everyone who hosted us. Uh, I went to the CN Tower, Niagara Falls, uh, Times Square and up the Empire State Building as well. I had an absolutely awesome time, but it's great to be back and talk about video games with all of you. Right, so let's get into what I've been playing this week. So this week I've been checking out games on my Nintendo Switch as I've been travelling around and uh, playing games on the plane and on the bus and things like that. So yeah, this week I checked out Katana Zero and finally caught up with Blossom Tales. So first up, let's get into Katana Zero. Zero is from Askisoft and uh, Devolver Digital, and it came out on April the 18th, 2019. So Katana Zero is a fun, action-packed 2D platforming game out now for Nintendo Switch, Mac, and PC. So in Katana Zero, you take on the role of a ninja working for a mysterious boss who's sending you out on contracts to take out different enemies. It's one-hit kill, and you have to plan out your attacks carefully, as one mistake means instant death. You'll wield a katana and take on rooms full of enemies by running, jumping and creeping through the shadows and sometimes dancing, and you take them out one by one. There's a couple of core gameplay mechanics here. So if you die, you'll go back in time to the start of the level and you will die a lot. So once you've planned out your attack and learnt the mechanics of the room, you'll take out all the bad guys. There's also this time mechanic that allows you to slow down time to deflect bullets or react faster than opponents. The interesting thing about this game is the scenes in between the action sequences where the character development takes centre stage. So you hang out your apartment, you're often annoyed by your kind of partying neighbours, you speak to your boss who acts like your therapist whilst at the same time feeding you drugs you're clearly dependent on. The character development is really unique. The graphics are 2D pixel art and look great. The music is awesome and is is one of the best features of this game, with atmospheric music for each level, from the thumping beats in the club to classical music in the boss's office. Each set piece offers up great music that complements the game setting. So there's a lot of positives about Katana Zero. However, the gameplay can get a little bit repetitive. The character development feels really unique and offers something new and interesting to the genre, and it's great value for money at only £13.49 for Nintendo Switch. 
Overall, I'd recommend Katana Zero. It's fun, not too long, engaging, and would be a great addition to anyone's Nintendo Switch collection. And overall, we gave it a 79. So if you played Katana Zero, uh, let me know what you think of it uh, by sending us an email or podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. Okay, so next up, let's take a look at Blossom Tales. So Blossom Tales, I'm a little bit late to the party with Blossom Tales as it was originally released on March 28th, 2017 for PC and then December the 21st, uh, 2017 for Nintendo Switch. And it's from Castle Pixel and was published by FGG Entertainment. So Blossom Tales, it's a fun 2D RPG which takes you on a grand adventure. So it follows the adventures of Lily, a knight of the rose, and you're tasked with saving the kingdom of Blossom. You find weapons, solve puzzles, and take on the evil beast in the kingdom to save the day. In a throwback to the Princess Bride, the story is narrated by Lily's grandfather. As Lily and her brother sit down by the fire and listen to their grandfather tell the story, you can choose some of the action. For example, do you want to take on a gang of golems or a bunch of archers? It's really neat. The game is definitely inspired by the Legend of Zelda series. However, it is a wonderful tribute. There's recognisable elements there, including hearts, weapons, puzzles, dungeons and bosses. However, even though it's comparable, it's a great game in its own right. The world is beautifully crafted, the pixel art looks fantastic, and uh, the audio brings the game together really nicely with great music, old school beeps and bops for character voices. There's five dungeons in Blossom Tales and they're entertaining. Uh, In the later dungeons, uh, the puzzles do tend to get a little bit repetitive. However, for the most part, they're really good fun. Outside the dungeons, there's plenty to explore in the world too, as you talk to NPCs and gather items and do various fetch quests and things like that. Blossom Tales is more than an homage to A Link to the Past. Um, It's a fun RPG, and if you enjoy these types of games, then you should definitely give it a go. And overall, we gave it a 76 out of 100. So you can check it out on Nintendo Switch and PC via Steam today. Let me know what you think about Blossom Tales. Did you pick it up? How have you got on with it? And what do you think about its comparisons between uh, Legend of Zelda series? Um, you know, Is it going to tide us over until the next Legend of Zelda game comes out uh, later in the year with the remake? And uh, yeah, let me know on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. So that's it for what I've been playing this week. Next up, let's get into the news. Okay, so first up in the news this week, players can now change their PlayStation ID. So have you ever wanted to change your PlayStation ID? Well, now you can. So we've been asking for it for years, but players can now change their PlayStation ID. For those who added like a funny name when they first signed up, or maybe you signed up when you were a teenager or something like that, and you regretted it, well now that change is possible. PlayStation say players will now be able to change their PlayStation ID via the PS4 or via a web browser. However, some games may not be compatible with the changes, and there's a list which you can check. So if you go to thisweekinvideogames.com and uh, search for PlayStation ID, uh, you should be able to find that article there where you can see that list of games. 
The first change is free, and then after that, if you want to change it again, it's an additional $7.99. So make sure when you do change, it's really what you want to, because that's quite a steep price. So PlayStation have provided a useful uh, frequently asked questions section on their website. If you go to thisweekinvideogames.com and search PlayStation ID, and then you can find a link to the frequently asked questions there. So that's good stuff from PlayStation. We've been wanting to change our PlayStation ID for some time, uh, so thanks to those at PlayStation who've untangled all that code. As I understand, it was quite difficult. A lot of uh, things were kind of hard-coded in, and they weren't necessarily variables. Uh, so they've untangled that code, refactored it, and made it nice and easy for us. So thank you, PlayStation. So next up, GDC 2019 presentations are now online, which is great news. So if you didn't get to go to GDC, like many of us, you can check out some of the best talks from GDC 2019. They are available uh, live on the uh, GDC website now. So the talks have been published and you've got some video and you've got some kind of PowerPoint presentations there as well. And there's a whole host of great content to be found. Uh, just some of the highlights of the presentations that I found. Uh, we've got a Subnautica post-mortem from Jonas Botel of Unknown Worlds Entertainment. We've got Marvel's Spider-Man, a technical post-mortem. That's from Alan Ruskin of Insomniac Games. We've got Into the Breach, a design post-mortem from Matthew Davis of Subset Games. And Reinventing God of War, a talk by Corey Barlog from Sony Santa Monica Studio. So there's many more talks that you can see up there as well. Um, you've got starred talks, which are for members only, and there's also presentations too. So for anyone wanting to get into game development, this is a huge, uh, fantastic resource to learn from. And GDC 2019 was obviously where Google unveiled their Stadia plans. Uh, so GDC was really, really big this year. So check out all those presentations now online. Okay, so next up, uh, Fortnite Endgame. So Fortnite Endgame is a new timed event uh, featuring crossover with Avengers Endgame, which uh, came out over the last few days. So I don't know if you've got a chance to see that film yet. I saw it uh, last night. It was absolutely fantastic. And if you're, if you're a fan of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're going to love this movie. Uh, so Fortnite, they've released a timed event to coincide with the release of Avengers Endgame. Um, and the update will feature new character types and new weapons like Captain America's shield and Thor's hammer. Uh, you've also got new Avengers cosmetics. They're available in the store. Uh, so Epic Games described the event on their blog as... Uh, we've got Thanos and the Chitauri. Um, they're invading Fortnite Battle Royale Island, searching for the six Infinity Stones. So it's up to you to acquire the Avengers Endgame items scattered throughout the map and take the fight to him. So during the Fortnite Endgame LTM, uh, you'll be able to compete challenges to acquire the free rewards like sprays, banners, and the Avengers Quinjet Glider. So this is the second promotional event featuring the Avengers following on from Thanos appearing last year to promote Avengers Affinity War. Uh, and you can find out more about the event on uh, Epic's blog. So if you go to thisweekinvideogames.com and type in Fortnite Endgame into the search box, uh, you should be able to find that article. And of course, Avengers Endgame came out in cinemas on Friday the 26th of April. As I mentioned, I really, really enjoyed the movie. And uh, yeah, if, um, if you like the Avengers, you've got to go and see it. It's absolutely fantastic. So next up, we've got news of Super Mario Maker 2 coming June the 28th. 
which is great news. This is a big new release from Nintendo. And Nintendo have announced the release date um, for their upcoming game, which is really, really good news. Um, So back in February, Nintendo announced Super Mario Maker 2 is coming to Nintendo Switch. And now we know it's coming on June the 28th, 2019. Super Mario Maker 2 will bring bring on a whole load of features from Super Mario Maker 1. And it will add a whole bunch of new stuff. So we've got slopes vertical scrolling and custom scrolling levels, uh, coin collecting, angry suns, uh, Super Mario 3D World features like the cat suit, we've got transparent warp pipes, the ant trooper, piranha creeper, um, porcupuffer and skip squeak and also they're adding parachute to the enemies and power-ups as well. So Super Mario Maker 2 it's going to be absolutely huge. I know a whole load of Twitch content creators built uh, their their entire kind of um, online career around Super Mario Maker and it was hugely successful uh, in terms of viewer levels and uh, interaction with the community Uh, so Super Mario Maker 2 um, it's going to be big so yeah if you've got a Nintendo Switch and uh, you're interested in Super Mario Brothers I totally recommend checking out Super Mario Maker 2 coming out on June the 28th Okay, so next up, we've got some exciting news from Capcom as they're going to release their arcade stick uh, coming soon this October. So the Capcom arcade stick together with 16 classic games is coming. And uh, so Nintendo and Sony have already released mini consoles and Sega are following up in their footsteps. So now Capcom, they've announced their entry into the classic console market with the announcement of a home arcade stick. So this is slightly different from what Nintendo and Sony and Sega are doing. Um, Rather than release a mini console, they're releasing an arcade stick. So the arcade stick is suitable for two players, complete with two sticks, uh, six buttons each uh, for that two-player action. And the system connects up to a TV via HDMI and comes with 16 classic games. So, we've got 1944, The Loop Master. Got Alien vs. Predator, Armored Warriors, Capcom Sports Club, Captain Commando, Cyberbots, Full Metal Madness, Dark Stalkers, The Night Warriors, Eco Fighters, Final Fight, which is fantastic, I love that game, Ghouls and Ghosts, Giga Wing, Mega Man, The Power Battle, which is going to be awesome, Pro Gear, and the big one, Street Fighter 2 Hyper Fighting. We've got Strider and Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. So Capcom has already had a great 2019 with Resident Evil 2 Remake and also Devil May Cry on the Nintendo Switch. So Capcom has already had a great 2019 with Resident Evil 2 Remake and Devil May Cry. And the arcade stick is coming on October 25th 2019 so put that date in your diaries okay so next up we've got news from the Mega Drive Mini as it adds some new games and Sega have announced the next 10 games for the Mega Drive Mini so we've got Sonic the Hedgehog 2 Earthworm Jim Street to Rage 2 and Contra plus more have been added to the lineup for the upcoming Mega Drive Mini so previously Sega had announced 10 games including Sonic the Hedgehog Echo the Dolphin Castlevania Bloodlines, Toe Jam and Earl, Altered Beast, Gunstar Heroes, Shining Force and Dr. Robotnik's Mean Machine. So now Sega have added the next 10 games and we've got that full list here. So let's check it out. We've got Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Earthworm Jim, Contra Hard Corps, Thunder Force 3, 
Streets of Rage 2, and I absolutely love Streets of Rage. Can't wait to get my hands on that one. Cast of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse. World of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. We've got Shinobi 3, Return of the Ninja Master. Super Fantasy Zone, and finally in uh, this section we've got Landstalker. So, brilliant. New games there announced for the Mega Drive Mini, and that's coming out on September the 19th. 2019 and you can find out more on Sega's website so if you go to thisweekinvideogames.com and search up Mega Drive Mini you'll find that article with a link to the full list on Sega's website so let me know what you think about this Um, are you going to be getting the Mega Drive Mini what games would you like them to see to announce because I think we've still got a few more games to be announced for the Mega Drive Mini over the next uh, few months or so let me know on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com which games you want to see and are you going to pick up the Mega Drive Mini so that's it for the news this week next up we're going to take a look at Airborne Kingdom Airborne Kingdom is a new city building and exploration game from Ben Wander and fellow members of the Wandering Band. In Airborne Kingdom you construct a flying metropolis and soar high above the earth. So as you float around you look for new civilizations to join your city and in a twist to the city building genre you take to the skies. So that in itself throws up new challenges you've got to stay airborne and it's your job to gather resources, manage the needs of the people, grow and expand your city. So Ben Wanda previously worked on a successful solo project called A Case of Distrust. And A Case of Distrust is a narrative mystery game set in 1924 in San Francisco. So you take on the role of private investigator Phyllis Cadence Malone as you try and crack the case. So Ben is now back together with former colleagues from Visceral Games. And they formed a new team under the name of The Wandering Band. So Airborne Kingdom is currently in development for PC and Mac and you can add that game to your wish list via Steam today. So I was lucky enough to sit down with Ben and have a chat about Airborne Kingdom and also his perspective on some of the hot topics in game development today. So let's go over to that interview now. Okay, Ben Wanda, thank you very much for joining us on This Week in Video Games. Really, really appreciate having you. Uh, How you doing? I'm good. It's very warm where I am in today, uh, where I'm today in sunny Colorado, and our air conditioning doesn't work, so I'm a bit hot right now. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, and I'm really, really excited to talk to you about Airborne Kingdom. Yeah, I'm excited to tell you about it. So um, let, let's let's kick it off. Um, could you tell us a bit about uh, Airborne Kingdom and the story? Yeah, Airborne Kingdom is a sky city builder where you actually move your city around the world to explore for new technology, new migrants, and the stories and mysteries of the desert below you. Uh, the The way the story kind of works is in a in a nodal sense, so very similar to something like 
uh, Sunless Skies or, or 80 Days, though with significantly less writing than those two games, because, man, those games had a lot of writing in them. And, uh, and we have a, a pretty small team working on some other stuff in the game, too. So uh, it's, it's more focused as a city builder. Um, but the, the nodal storytelling comes in interacting with these different um, kingdoms and kind of their subgroups that they make a part of uh, and really trying to um, uh, discover the mystery that's kind of happening along uh, b- below, below your kingdom, below your flying city. Well, that, that sounds really cool. And uh, so I guess tra- traditional sort of building games are, are kind of on, on the ground and you've you've combined it with a kind of exploring mechanic. Can you tell us more about how that came about? Yeah, uh, a lot of people ask this question, and, and the honest answer is through a lot of playtesting. We, we came up with the idea of, well, what if we make a city builder, but it's, it's a fantastical city in the sky. We, we came up with the idea about a year ago at this point, and we just kept iterating on what seemed fun to us. And uh, at some point, we had various ships and other things that would move to resources or move to contact other cities or, or do things like that. And it just, it felt like it was taking the focus off of the, the city itself. Uh, and it was our programmer, actually, who, who came up with this brilliant idea. He just said, why don't we move the city? Uh, and at the time, our, me and uh, me and the artist and the producer that we have on the game thought it was a terrible idea, uh, but we decided to, to just try it out anyway, and it turned out to create such a fantastic loop where you're, you know, we, we can make the resources a bit less, a, a bit more scarce, a bit less abundant, uh, and you can, uh, you know, need to play the game differently depending on the part of the desert that you're in. Uh, we don't have to have a tech tree anymore. Uh, literally, the tech tree is the ground is what you're exploring. And so it, it opened up all these unique different gameplay elements that we didn't, um, we didn't really think about at first. Uh, and that moment is really when we knew that we had something special and we went, okay, like, let's turn it on. We know we've got something with this. Let's, let's really kick off the project. That's awesome. It must be really exciting where you, it's almost like that moment kind of where you get struck by lightning. You think, ah, this is, this is it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and again, sometimes it's not what you expect. I would I would not have put this movement mechanic in, but it's all about trying things that maybe you don't think are going to work or maybe you think are going to break different parts of the game, but I think that's that can be what gives you a really unique twist that you didn't think about. Yeah, that's really cool. So it's it it must um throw a, an interesting mechanic into the the game. So you're 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 building your city and you're flying uh, and I imagine um the resources and the fuel that you need to kind of keep the kind of keep the uh, the floating city up in the sky that must be that must be uh, quite tough for the players yeah exactly so that's that's um the the player basically has to manage a whole new and unique loop that they wouldn't have had to deal with in another city builder so you're right um things like having enough fuel or having enough people to manually power their city depending on the technologies that they have, um, making sure that the section of, um, of world that they're currently in has the resources that they need to keep their city propelled, and if it doesn't, that they have the, the resources or the, or the technology to mitigate that. Um, so it, it adds quite a few twists that, that can, because the map is changing throughout the game as you're moving along it, um, it kind of changes from moment to moment in the whole game itself. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite fun and pretty unique, and I'm, I'm glad that we've, we sort of came at it from um, 
a playtest and iteration standpoint, because I think just as a thought, it might be a bit confusing, but I think as soon as people play it, um, it they, they understand it right away and they really get it and uh, people have a lot of fun. That's, that's really cool. The um, and, and you mentioned kind of technologies there. So do the um, citizens of your flying city, do they get the opportunity to learn about new technologies and things like that? Yeah, exactly. So as... Uh, in a traditional city builder, what you'd have is a typical technology tree or research tree, and you'd sort of stick points in research, and and that's how you would unlock um, your your various you know second, third, fourth tier buildings. Uh, in Airborne Kingdom, because we're moving the kingdom around, one of the things we can do is uh, actually have different uh, places know about different technologies, and as you're flying over these different locations, you can trade for those those technologies you can trade something that maybe a city below you needs to find out okay how is it that you're using hydroponic farms and can those farms work on my city and and can we you know how does uh what materials are you using to build different stuff and is that lighter and maybe that helps our city more things like that no that's that's really cool and um you mentioned they're flying around and you can kind of trade technologies with uh, different um civilizations that you encounter on on the ground, um, so you, you have to kind of you, you fly around. And how do you go about attracting um, new people to your city? So yeah, in the different in the different locations that you get in, it's it's um, kind of similar to a, a traditional city builder in that um, when you're flying around, you sort of have all of these different desires and needs that the people below you have. So for example, everybody needs food, shelter, and water. If you're not providing that, very few people are going to be attracted to come to in, into your city. Um, if you do have that, your flying kingdom is sort of a spectacle. The, the, the adventurers, the people who want to come, you might attract a few people from each different location. Um, but beyond that, you're really starting to try to provide people with uh, places for entertainment, um, places for religious worship, an attractiveness level to the city and to their neighborhoods um, that they don't find in their current houses. So we're really trying to think about, okay, what are the different loops, what are the different elements that we can have in order to attract citizens, and who would be attracted to this type of flying, adventurous kingdom, and why would they want to come, and, you know, the kind of things like that. Oh, that's, that, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, so, so it sounds like you've had um, a bunch of kind of um, inspirations and themes behind Airborne Kingdom. Um, what, what was um, what, what's kind of your uh, and your team's inspiration uh, behind the game? Yeah, so the the team actually comes at it from quite a few different perspectives. It's funny we all play varying types of games, and we realized that the the crossover, the overlap between all of us was the city management and sort of builder type of type of genre. Um, but I come from, you know, the last game that I made was a, a narrative mystery game. So I like to play a lot of story, rich, heavy games, things like that. Um, so yeah, the, the nodal storytelling system is, is more inspired by like something like A Sunless Skies. Um, I would say that our biggest city building inspirations, if you're going to try to compare it size-wise to something else, are closer to things like Kingdoms and Castles or Frostpunk. Um, and then, you know, the the exploration bits themselves 
are kind of unique to our genre. So we really have to pull from from different areas and, and things that we know and things that work in, in games that you might not even think of. Like we're, we reference uh, Breath of the Wild a lot in our chats. Um, not necessarily because our game is going to look like that or feel like that at all, but just because, hey, in that game, when you explore, like, for example, um, I forget the guy's name, but the guy who keeps showing you pictures about different things, like, is that a mechanic that we could have in our game? Maybe. Why don't we try it out and see how it works? It works in, in their game. Can we put it in our game? So really adding that unique element kind of lets us take inspiration from a lot of games that you wouldn't think about. Oh, that's yeah. That, that sounds absolutely. It's it's really exciting. The kind of the, the combination of the uh, the city building and the exploring. It sounds really, really unique. Um, and I I understand there's quite a kind of rich law behind Airborne Kingdom as well. Can you tell us more about the law? Yeah, we're trying to stay a bit secretive about the story <laughs> at the moment, only because and and I don't you know we're we're all about pretty open development and and especially. In the mechanics part, we're really trying to show new features as we have them to interact with our community. The one thing with the story is we don't know how mysterious we want to keep everything yet. So rather than spoil different parts of the game that we think, oh, no, actually, we didn't want people to know about this, we don't want to handcuff ourselves too early to that stuff, but, but we will be sharing more about it in the future. No, I totally understand. And I, I, I understand that you, you kind of recently um, announced the game. And um, so what's, what's the reaction been so far? Yeah, the, <laughs> honestly, the reaction is better than we could have hoped for. Uh, you, you kind of make a game in your own little world. You're, you're kind of siloed off from everybody else. And our first thought was, will people even understand what this game is? Making a, a tagline for something like Airborne Kingdom or a quick one sentence is pretty hard. I mean, there's a lot of complex concepts that people need to understand. Like, what is a city builder? What do you mean by it's flying around and you're exploring and how does that work and how are you propelling this thing? And and then as soon as somebody sees a screenshot or better yet, a GIF of the of the actual game itself, they instantly get it. They in, they're they're aware of oh, okay this is exactly how it works so I'd encourage if you're if you're listening to this podcast now and, and you're having trouble imagining this game just go look up a GIF of the game uh, and I think you you instantly get it and that was something that was troubling to us before we announced and then as soon as we announced and um, you know again I I could not have expected the the reaction that we got it's been absolutely wonderfully positive. And, and you mentioned the the kind of look and the feel of the game there. I mean, I've I've, I've been having a look um, since we sort of set up a date to do the to do the interview, and you're absolutely right. As soon as you see a, um, uh, a GIF of um, one of the kind of um, fantastical machines, you just kind of instantly kind of get the uh, get the get the game. So yeah, it, it looks beautiful. Um, could you tell us um, a bit more about the inspiration behind the art style? Yeah, for sure. And my art director is going to kill me because I don't have the actual like he's he's inspired by all these classical artists. And um, I, I don't know their names quite so well, but um, I can tell you our initial um, our initial sort of idea for the world of the game came from this guy named Augustus Lamplaw, who did a lot of uh, paintings of northern Africa and, and the desert scenes in the Sahara in the late 1800s. And um, beyond that, um, there's a lot of inspiration from um, these little 
types of music boxes and papercraft um, ideas. So it, it feels we've had a lot of people compare it to the introduction to Game of Thrones, um, and and that's not exactly what we set out to do. But now that people have said it, I can I can imagine why they would say that because it does feel like this almost like this diorama set of um, you know when when an artist first showed this to me, our artist is, is amazing. His name is Chi Fong. And he can make anything look look absolutely beautiful. And when he showed me his first concept for the game, all I could think about was, you know, when you open up uh, like a grandfather clock and you see all the gears behind it and everything that moves, especially the complicated ones with like, you know, time of year and 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 the the, the phase of the moon and things like that. You just you get all of these intricate little details, and that was so much fun. And and I think that's what um, that's what we're trying to do with the art style. It's it's really a it's a it's a thing of beauty, and um, the more I see of the game, the more the more I'm impressed. So, um, how and uh, when can players uh, get their hands on Airborne Kingdom? So we have a Steam page up right now. You should go and wishlist it because everybody loves people who wishlist their games. Um, <laughs> no, because you can you can honestly like if you wishlist the game, you can stay up to date with things um, whenever we give updates. Uh, we also have a Discord channel. Um, that you can join. You can find all that stuff on the website, and I don't know if I need to tell people nowadays how to find the website for a video game. Just search the name and you'll be fine. Um, uh, in terms of release date, that was, that was the next question you had. We're, we're also being a bit coy on that, and the only reason being that um, we all came from AAA games. Like We met, we, we worked at a, a company called Visceral Games together, and um, we know that you can put a date on something and that that causes all manner of problems in terms of you know needing to hit that date and and what that can mean for the game's design or what can or or what that can mean even you know for the team's mental health yeah. and so we're really trying to take this uh, slow and we're trying to um, make sure that we have something fun before we release anything playable to our fans it's, it sounds uh, completely sensible. It's you know you're working on something. It's a it's a passion of yours, and it sounds like the team that you're working with are, are really close knit and really good really good friends as well. Um, so it, it you know it totally makes sense to um, you know work on it and then release it when you know when you think when you think it's ready. So uh, yeah, I really like that approach. Yeah, I mean it's a luxury, right? Not not everybody has that, and so we we uh, like we're admittedly in a in a somewhat privileged position to be able to say that. But I think if we do have that as a luxury, it's it's the right way to go about it. That's oh, fantastic. Um, so I, ju I just want to shift a little bit from Airborne Kingdom to um, chat a little bit um, more about yourself and the Wandering Band, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so Ben, how did you first get into creating games? So I started off as an intern at EA Mobile in uh, Montreal. Um, I don't know when that was. I was 19, so it was a very long time ago. <laughs> uh, and then I sort of bounced around uh, mobile games for a bit and ended up at uh, Silicon Knights, which is a company that did um, famously Eternal Darkness. Oh. I worked on a... I worked on a much worse game at Silicon Knights. It's called X-Men Destiny. Nobody should play it. It's really bad. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't even know if you can find it anymore because they got a bit. It, they got in trouble a bit with like a epic for their Unreal work. I, I don't know. It, it it gets fuzzy after a while. Uh, and then after that, I went and uh, I worked at Bioware in Edmonton, working on um, Dragon Age. Oh, wow. And then I transferred to 
uh, Visceral Games, which is where I met all the wonderful people that I'm working with right now, uh, and we put out a Battlefield game there. Um, and then, wait, sorry, that's not the end of the story. That used to be the end of the story. And then <laughs> I, I left that and made my own indie game called A Case of Distrust, which is a narrative mystery game from 1924 San Francisco. And that released about a year ago, a year and, and a few months ago, so just before we started working on Airborne Kingdom. So is, when you were working on A Case of Distrust, was that a solo project? A Case of Distress, yeah, was mostly solo. Uh, a really good friend of mine um, who worked at Bioware did the, did the music for it. Um, but yeah, and, and the soundtrack is, is one of the best parts of the game. Oh man, I, I really love the music in that game. Um, so you should, you should definitely have a listen. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, it was, it was mostly solo. And I was mostly on my own for it. So it was a much different experience than being on a team of you know, hundreds of people. So how does it feel to be kind of back part of a team like with um, the Wandering Band? Yeah, this is the perfect team size. I mean, that's exactly, this is the, the right amount of people that I would want to make a game with. It's small enough so that we all have game input. We can all see the game at all the time. We understand all the different elements of, at, at work in it. Um, and you have enough people that you can bounce ideas off of that I had no idea that moving the city would, would make it wonderful, but our programmer had that idea, and so we decided to try it, and it worked out. Um, it's, it's absolutely great. What's, what's really fantastic about it is it's the people at my old company that I would have wanted to start making games with, and it, and it just so happened that magically all the right elements fell into place, uh, and I'm working with some of my best friends. Like, Fred, our programmer, was the best man at my wedding. Um, you know, we, we get together a bunch, we're on Skype all the time, but when, when we all get to the same location, we always have dinner and stuff together. It's, it's quite a fun time. That's awesome. And you mentioned there that um, your, your programmer came up with uh, one of the ideas, um, one of the core mechanics of the game. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your process for kind of how you come up with ideas and how you kind of work together? Yeah, a lot of it is about iteration. Uh, I think I'm, I'm technically the designer on the game, but really that just means that um, I write stuff down and come up with the numbers and play test a lot. Um, our programmer and our artist and our producer, um, all four of us, I think, are very good game designers. I mean, I, I, I guess I include myself in that list because I'm, I have the designer title, but what I mean is um, our, take Chi, for example, um, he's our artist, you'd expect him to want to make everything gorgeous and everything pretty, and he is the exact opposite. Sometimes I'll tell him, hey man, can we just art this thing up a bit more? And he'll say, no, play with the white box for longer, let's try to figure out this mechanic first, and then we can art it up at the end. Uh, and so I think everybody has this mentality of the best way to make a game is to, to find a mechanic and iterate on it and build you know, different loops on top of that mechanic and, and play test and play test and play test. We have a rule where you know, the, the build is never broken. You can always go in, you can always play it, and, and we encourage each other um, to play test the game every day. We have a daily meeting where we talk about it, where we, where we talk about ideas, and then I write them down in a design and we sort of repeat that process, hopefully until the game's done. That, that, that's great. Um, so could you tell us more about the, the Wandering Band, uh, like who's part of the team, and, um, and yeah, give, uh, give your teammates a shout-out. Yeah, so uh, I mentioned Chi Fong is our, is our artist. He was uh, last the art director at Visceral Games. 
he was working with Amy Hennig on uh, the Star Wars project that uh, was was ill fated, but before that we worked on Battlefield together. Um, uh, Zach, let's let's go with Zach because he was also on the Star Wars project. Um, he's he had been a lead producer at EA or a senior producer, whatever they called them, um, and he had worked there for about twenty years. So I can't list the number of games he's worked on because it would take us the whole podcast. But he's <laughs> a very, very experienced guy, and he's a wonderful man to have on the team because our schedule would be ridiculous without him. It's great to have somebody who knows how to plan things and, and run milestones and, and optimize spreadsheets. I mean, he basically does everything that the rest of us would rather not do. So like, I, I really love the stuff that he does, because, and he's so good at it. Um, and then our programmer is uh, Frederick Garreau, uh, and he also worked with us at Visceral on Battlefield. Um, he has worked on Star Wars Battlefront and Army of Two as well. Uh, and then, similar to me, we left we left Visceral at the same time. This was a couple of years before the Star Wars project. Uh, and he went and traveled the world for a very long time. Uh, and then he sort of came back and said, okay, what next? And we were making this thing, and, and we just got together and, and started doing it. It's, and you, you can almost see some of the inspiration from traveling around the world in, in, in the game as well. It's, uh, I, I love the, the art style, the typography as well for your logo. It looks, looks absolutely fantastic. So you can kind of see some of those inspirations that, you know, as you sort of um, went away from Visceral Games and then came back together, it's, it's really uh, it's there for everyone to see, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think you can kind of see the different elements that that we each bring to it. I, I like it. I do like it, and it's and it's and it's also fun to be able to say that you know I'm I'm quite proud of this thing already, even though it's not uh, anywhere close to being done. Um, it's still I'm I, I love what we've made so far, and I love what we're making, and I, and I think it feels good, and it it feels great to work on a project like this that you really really believe in and really think is gonna is gonna be fun for players. And it, it's a really interesting kind of uh, shift of genre from the last game that you worked on in a case of distrust. Um, is that something you quite like to do? You like working on um, kind of a, a variety of uh, game styles? Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. There's no... What I like about games is that there are so many different types of them, and I like a lot of different genres, and so does Chi, and so does Fred, and so does Zach. And, um, you know, we... I feel like we kind of all play the the sort of popular games, and then we each have our niches w within that. But um, one of the great things about game development is that you can just completely turn on a dime and and make something very new the next time. Um, and right now, it's it's been a really really good time making the city builder. But who knows? In in five years, we might all be working on another noir adventure game. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, that, that, that's really cool. So do you think you're, e you're ever going to settle on a particular genre or you, you're just kind of keep uh, testing out different, different types of games? Yeah, it's a good question uh, from, a, from a company uh, future direction standpoint. Uh, the honest answer is I think we're going to keep making games that we want to play. Uh, and whether that's, you know, Airborne Kingdom 7 or whether that's something completely and utterly different that we it's a it's a VR game where you're rock climbing and, and shooting guns or I don't know. But um, I think that our, our, our biggest focus is just uh, having a good time with with what we're making. And I think that lets our players have a good time with it as well. 
Oh, that's awesome. So I imagine you're going to be hyper-focused on Airborne Kingdom for the moment. Do, do you get much time to play uh, games in your spare time? Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think that's part of um, what we were talking earlier a bit about um, work-life balance and making sure that you have that. I mean, we're all, we all are video game players. That's something we enjoy doing. And I would hate to ever have a schedule that doesn't allow for me to just relax and go do something else. And what's, what's your kind of favorite game out there at the minute? You know, the three of us, uh, Zach, Zach is on a different, is on a different server, but the three of us, uh, Fred, me, and she have been playing Astroneer for the last two weeks and we're having a really good time with it. We have just discovered the, the center of one of the planets. Uh, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but if you haven't played Astroneer or if you're not there yet, that is quite an epic moment. We, we had a really good time with that. Cool. I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to check that one out. There's a beautiful documentary by Noclip on the development of Astroneer. If you haven't heard about it, go watch that documentary. It is actually um, a really fantastic story. Um, it, it's a sad story in some ways, but it's it's really interesting to get a behind-the-scenes look at, at that game. Brilliant. And uh, you've, you've been working in game development for some time, and uh, I imagine you've seen a lot of changes in the industry over, over the last sort of five or ten years. Um, we've we've talked a bit about the kind of um, stresses and uh, challenges working in kind of big uh, corporate companies and a, a little bit more about the kind of freedom in working in kind of ideal team sizes. What would what would you say is uh, something or the, the biggest change that you've noticed in the industry, say, over the last five years? Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like year to year things change. If you go to if you go to GDC two years ago, it was all about VR and VR accessories and the things that we can do with different spaces. And then last year it was all about uh, uh, cryptocurrency and and using mining for your games. And then this year it was all about streaming and the new Google streaming services and everything. So it kind of jumps around a lot. Um, if if I try to look at a more overarching theme in the last five or ten years. The biggest difference is really the tool set that's come in that's allowing teams like our size to make a game like this. Um, I think even five years ago, making a game of this magnitude with such a small team would be close to impossible or at least very, very difficult and take you a lot longer. Um, different tool sets like Houdini, game engines like Unity or Unreal have really come a long way in such a short amount of time. And I think it's letting a lot of, be, uh, a lot of people be creative and sort of branch out in ways that they might not have been able to before. That's awesome. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned there about the streaming services at, at GDC. I, I recently um, had a sort of look into um, streaming services and did a feature a couple of episodes ago on, on the podcast. And... Uh, it's. I was wondering, as you know, as a game developer uh, at GDC, what was what was the kind of reaction in terms of the streaming services? Because there's been a lot of talk in the industry for some time, and there's been a few companies sort of testing out. But it feels like 2019 or 2020 is going to be the year where the streaming services hit. And as a as a game developer, I'm, I'm really interested into into understanding your kind of point of view of what what's you know what's coming down the road and what that means for you as a game developer. Yeah, I think I mean just in general as as a gamer I'm curious about about the mechanics of of what it is like to play a game streaming through the internet. I don't know, I've actually never I've never tried it. I never did the uh, 
any of the the Google stuff or any of the streaming um, uh, PlayStation games that you can that you can play. Um, I'd be curious to to sit down and see what what's the latency like. What are, what is the visual fidelity like? Uh, from a game developer standpoint, the promise of everybody being able to play my game on any device is actually quite interesting. Uh, currently, you might need to buy a somewhat decent computer or a game console, um, and that's a big investment early on to try to make um, to justify you know, playing a game that you might not know if you're going to like. But if you already have, say, an Apple TV or something that can stream a game pretty easily, then maybe that barrier to entry is lower and suddenly our fan base starts to grow. Um, the the flip side of that coin is okay. This is all fun and interesting, but how is it being monetized? Am yeah. I selling my game for the same price across all stores, and it doesn't matter whether it's a streaming service or whether it's a it's you know I guess I don't know what you would call it a, a full game download like something like Steam or or you know a physical box that you get at the store. Um, if if people are paying the same price, then I think it's competitive. I do get a bit worried when people start talking about subscription services, if only because they're a mystery, um, and I don't know how that's going to work. And and every time something kind of changes in game development, you get winners and losers. And and currently it's um, currently there's a landscape where indies can be successful, and I hope that that continues. Oh, that's 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 really interesting. And um, so what what was your favorite thing that came out of GDC this year? Uh, geez, GDC this year for me was just a bunch of back to back to back to back meetings and, and <laughs> interviews and and you know we were showing our game at the Indie Mega Booth at GDC and so kind of running the booth and running around and meeting friends and it was so incredibly hectic that I don't even I'm not even sure what came out of GDC beyond the the Google uh, Stadia which I've learned is the plural of the word stadium. I didn't. I don't think I knew that, but I guess it makes sense. Um, that's how I remember it now. I used to call it the Google Stevia, and I don't think that's great. Um, but yeah, I think that was the that, that was the biggest thing really to come out of there. And and I guess because of that, that was the most interesting thing. I will say, no, you know what? There was a. I always love the Control Alt GDC stuff. For those who don't know, these are like. Um, games that are shown on the floor at GDC that are 100% clearly never going to release as a commercial product. They're, they're purposefully made so that you can interact with an electronic game in a way that you wouldn't really think about doing it. And so to give a couple examples of this year, there was a game where you had to sit at, on various sections of a couch and where you were sitting, you would hit a monster under the couch and it would light up when you did it. And I think there was a bit of vibration or something in there. Um, there was a, a game where you were each controlling a pirate ship, but you had too many controls and not enough room on your controller for, for all of them. So you had to keep swapping out and people were fighting with, no, I want the steering now or I want the cannons on my side or things like that. So um, if, if anybody ever goes out to GDC and I would I would highly highly recommend you take some time and go see the uh, alt control GDC stuff. It's actually quite wonderful. <laughs> oh, that sounds fantastic. Well, um, Ben, it's it's been absolutely awesome talking to you, and it sounds like you've got a really busy 2019 coming up with a lot of uh, development on Airborne Kingdom. I'm I for one am super excited to to follow the development of this game, and uh, I can't wait to get my hands on it when it comes out. So. Thank you uh, for taking the time out to talk to us today. 
Great. Yeah, this has been this has been fun. So thanks very much to Ben there for sitting down with me and talking about Airborne Kingdom and uh, his perspective on uh, the video games industry as it is at the moment. Always an absolute pleasure to sit down with game developers and talk about their games and what's going on in the video games industry. So thanks, Ben, for that. Fantastic stuff. Right, so next up, we're going to go into Guess That Game. So a couple of weeks ago we kicked off a new feature called Guess That Game where I play a sound effect and you have to guess that game. So we haven't had any correct answers yet so I'm going to play this sound effect once again and you have to guess that game. So here it is. And here's that sound effect again. And just in case you missed it Here's that sound effect one more time. Okay, so uh, let me know what you think it is and uh, send your answers on a postcard to podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com and uh, let us know what you think that game is. Okay, so next up, let's take a look at the charts. Okay, so this week in the charts, at 10, we've got new Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. That's down two from eight. Uh, new in at number nine, we've got Snooker 19, the official video game. Then at number eight, down one from number seven, we've got Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. And then at number seven, down two from five, we've got Yoshi's Crafted World. Holding steady at number six, we've got Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And then down two from three to five, we've got Red Dead Redemption 2. Holding steady at number four, we've got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And then down two from one to three, we've got Tom Clancy's The Division 2. Then at number two, we've got FIFA 19. And straight in at number one, we've got World War Z. So that's it for the charts this week. Let's check out what we've got coming up next week. Okay, so coming up next week, uh, on April the 30th, we've got a few games. So we, first of all, we've got Fate of Silence. That's coming out on PC, PS4, and Xbox One. We've also got Felseal, Arbiter's Mark. That's coming out on PC, PS4, and Xbox One as well. And also we've got Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age. That's coming out on Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. And finally, for April the 30th, we've got Just Cause 4, Daredevils of Destruction DLC. That's coming out on PC, PS4, and Xbox One. Then on May the 1st, we've got Tabletop Racing World Tour Nitro Edition. That's coming out on Nintendo Switch. And then on May the 2nd, we've got a couple of games, Close to the Sun and Pandemic Express. So that's it for this week in video games this week. It's great to be back. And thank you for taking the time out to download or stream this week in video games i really do appreciate every listen that we get and for you to take the time out to hang out with me each week and talk about video games i'd like to extend a special thanks this week to christian and jaya who's been helping me out with the new music for the podcast uh, so thanks guys you've done an absolutely fantastic job um, so if you want to get involved in the show do email us on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or check out the latest on the website Send in your questions, your comments and video game stories. We're always interested in hearing from you. And we're also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. So search This Week in Video Games on your favourite platform and join in the conversation. So I hope you have a fantastic rest of the weekend and we'll be back next weekend to talk about video games. Have a great week 
and I'll see you soon.